Hello and welcome to episode 106 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray in the hot seat as the golf world's attention turns to Augusta National and the Masters, the first men's major of the season, will suck all of the oxygen out of every other golf event this week. But we're not falling for that here at Good Good. Yes, it's unavoidable to talk about it a little bit, but in what context? Mm. We'll see what unfolds as we go through the show. It'll be revealed shortly when we're joined by our special guest, Shane Darby of the Firm and Fast podcast. got a couple of bones to pick with him, and we'll do that shortly. Before that, though, let me bring in my co-host, Adrian Logue. Like, I don't want to join the chorus of, oh, what a special week this is, and oh, isn't Augusta National amazing, and isn't the Masters wonderful? All that associated sap. But it kind of is a bit special, isn't it? For all of my cynicism, you can't help but admit there's something about it every year. It is. There's something to wake up to and be excited about. There's going to be four mornings this week where we can wake up all excited and turn the TV on and and, and watch. And I hate getting sucked in. See a new page in history being written. Look, it is, and I can't help but get on board with the Tiger thing. Yeah. uh, The the longer it goes on, the more you appreciate just how incredibly special he is and has been. And where the window's closing, uh, we're very lucky to be able to see. Exactly. A friend of mine uh, texted me with extreme cynicism and said, Why is he getting all this attention? Let the other guys have the spotlight. And I was like, The other guys do not mind that he's getting all of this attention. They get the money. He brings great attention to the tournament. And he could, you know, if he's fit, he can contend. I had an auntie once, this is an extraordinary notion, who once said to me about both Serena Williams and Tiger Woods about 15 years ago, they should retire and let the others have a go. Yeah. <laughs> I said to her, you've kind of missed the fundamental point of sport, I suspect, yeah. <laughs> is that if you're good enough, just go out and beat them. Exactly. They want to beat the best as well. There you go. You've sold out your Tasmanian adventure, no need to talk about that anymore? Uh, yeah, what a shame, I'm missing it already. really successful. What are uh, you doing? Yeah, the, the Golfers Alliance, all there is to do now is to... Uh, stage it um, <laughs> and there'll be a whole recording issue that will be going over before uh, you're not coming back oh, without not prom- something let's to not show make any for promises. Yeah, don't, trust don't, me don't It'll air our uh, uh, internal speaking <laughs> of podcasting recording and speaking of special i'll tell you what else is special golf in ireland that's where we head now to meet today's guest shane darby's burst onto the golf podcasting scene with his firm and fast show and in a little over a month month and a half two months he's found a willing and enthusiastic audience Podcast tagline is unknown unknowns in the golfing road less travelled. Shane, welcome. What the hell does that tagline mean? Who are you and why are you encroaching on our turf? Well, you know, I'm going to use a topical hello. Hello, Adrian Ashi, and hello, Rod. It's great to be here. This is starting to feel like a tradition like no other. <laughs> but uh, To fill the listeners in, sorry we, record, about that. we recorded last week, made a complete meal of it. So we're, re- all of our, we're revealing all our secrets. This is how the sausage is made. <laughs> sorry, folks. Well, this is how our sausage is made. Yours is probably much more organised. Who are you? Where'd you come from? What's this about? Yeah, well, I, I guess um, if we uh, – long-term golf tragic rod. Um, I spent some uh, – and I've been through various iterations of golf tragedy – uh, the most recent one, the most, I guess, relevant one to your question is a visit to the Sandbelt and Australia in January 2020, just before the world went mad. And I had an epiphany in Kingston Heath uh, in terms of strategic golf design. I hope you cleaned it uh, up. Prior to my... Huh? <laughs> I hope you cleaned it up afterwards. Logue can make it sound <laughs> dirty, Shane. Don't listen to him. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let that wash over yourself, Adrian. <laughs> Uh, excuse any any potential pun there that wasn't was completely unmeant. Um, I guess preceding the trip, lads, I uh, my golf club in Dublin, Royal Dublin, had just appointed Clayton de Vries and Pont to take a look, look at our bunkering. 
So I was really of a mind before I came over to learn a bit more about golf design, etc., etc. Kingston Heath pretty much nailed that particular um, brief and motivated me to surf through various things. I remember actually sitting in my Airbnb in, in Adelaide, listening to Clates for the first time on uh, maybe the IC Golf podcast, going back into the dim mist of time, uh, ordering books by Harry Colt and bits and pieces. So I guess the lockdown came and two years went by listening to a lot of Clates, a lot of Murray, a lot of Shackelford, a lot of Logue, a lot of Derek Duncan, a lot of the fried egg, etc., etc. So I guess I was motivated to, I guess, share my journey, I suppose, and here I am. If all of that doesn't cure you of the golf illness, <laughs> listening to that for two years, then I'm afraid you are incurable. My takeaway from that, Rod, is that it's all been worth it. If we've just reached one person... <laughs> And we may have reached just one person. 400 or 500 episodes. <laughs> and we've, uh, we've found them. That's, it's all been worth it. Why would somebody from Ireland, Derby, have to come to Australia to have a golf epiphany? That is madness. We go there. I had my golf epiphany mm -hmm. in Scotland and Ireland and England to a lesser extent. Uh, why would you come all the way on this side of the world? That's intriguing to me. I guess it's it's... The other, the, the other side of the coin, Rod, uh, you know, what you're used to it becomes the norm. And what you're not used to, uh, as in strategic golf design and the sand belt and your Mackenzie bunkering, etc., etc., in the same way as you had your, 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 your moment of, of, of light bulb, shall we say, in terms of Lynx golf, um, it's just the other side of the coin. But I live in Sydney. It's a golfing wasteland for the most part. That's got a, that's an excuse. You're in Ireland, for goodness sake. You're surrounded. I do take it. It's an interesting point, though, isn't it? Like we Things like recency bias, the way we perceive the world and the things around us. It's intriguing that somebody would come from Ireland to Australia and have some sort of an epiphany about golf. But hmm. it does make some sense, doesn't it? Yeah, you don't always appreciate what you've got around you, do you? And I, I think that's true. Sure, your wife's told you that more than once. <laughs> I think that's it's true of travel as well. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. we don't travel much domestically in Australia, do we? I've never been to Ayers Rock. No, neither have I. People come from all over the world to go to Ayers Rock. Yeah. I've not been to... I think I have actually been to all the capitals now. I hadn't been to Adelaide until a few years ago when I went for work. Right. I loved it. I thought Adelaide was fantastic. I thought, yeah. why haven't I been here before? Yeah. But it's interesting. So why, why a podcast, Shane? It's an already extraordinarily full landscape. It is, but I suppose, as I said, I'm trying to share my journey, and it's not really about me. It's about getting some of the expert minds, to my mind, certainly. Uh, I know I haven't had yet, I'm yet to have Logue or Mari on, but they are on the list. Um, admittedly, Rod did say, have, have Adrian on first, because he's, uh, he's maybe better. But uh, <laughs> He's an interesting <laughs> thinker. I'm a daily newspaper hack. It's all pretty straightforward with me. He's at least an interesting thinker, and I'm sure we'll have some sort of an analogy later in the show or a metaphor that'll grab our attention. He'll come up with something. No, no, for sure. And um, Look, I, I guess it's, it's you know, the, 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 golf, the golf world and the people that I've reached out to have been a very generous with their time uh, nobody has yet is a touch wood has yet to say no um, and it's really just giving them a platform if you like as you, you the two, as the two of you know it's it's long form it takes as long as it takes uh, I'm not putting any time limit on it so some of the chats take two and a half hours some of the more recent ones have taken a little bit less but 
it's it's just uh, you know covering a covering a topic or a, an element of a topic and uh, hopefully bringing people on a journey. What topics? What's it about, Shane? What is? Give me the elevator pitch. Convince me to listen. Yeah, um, I guess road less travelled in terms of golf course architecture, in terms of agronomy and greenkeeping, in terms of environment, in terms of sustainability, in terms of pathways to, to golf, and I guess just new and, I guess, unknown unknowns is probably the best uh, the best terminology and the best phraseology I can use. People tend to think they know more about the game they love, and when you start scratching the surface, and I'm, I'm speaking personally... Um, I've had many moments where I was there going, well, I didn't know that. I thought I did. So in pure Donald Rumsfeld-isms, unknown unknowns. Yeah, it took 30 years for it to finally make sense, but it really makes sense, the unknown unknowns, doesn't it? Within your own club, I'm still stuck on this idea of coming to Australia to have an opinion. Within your own club, are you in the minority? Royal Dublin is a uh, highly regarded, well-respected golf course internationally in terms of architecture, which is predominantly what the show's about, and golf course architecture and how that plugs into everything that comes off it. Within your own club, how many people are interested in this stuff? Um, I think it's a small and growing band. Um, at the end of the day, um, they may just think I'm nuts. Um, you know, a lot of them, I mean, to use the, the logism that I keep I get repeat, repeating of late is that eyes up and eyes down. Mm -hmm. And look, people are entitled to enjoy golf however they wish, whether that's competitively or, or otherwise. I mean, I, I spoke recently, actually last night, to Michael Goldstein, who's uh, people may know him from Pure Golf 2010, himself and a mate of his travel around the world, playing golf every day for 365 days a year. But he used an interesting analogy in terms of when they started himself and his mate started the, tr started the journey, they religiously kept score. But as they got into their journey, they actually stopped keeping score. Not that they stopped caring, but they started to, to look up and to see the, you know, the sky and the beauty and the land and the design in front of them. And I guess it changed their lives, really. And in many ways, the journey I'm on has changed the way I view golf, really. Tease out that look up and look down for us, like I was intrigued, so intrigued by the notion when you first mentioned it a couple of years ago, I wrote a whole column about it. For those not familiar, tease out this notion of look up and look down golfers, because I think I think every golfer goes through the process to that. If you end up at look up, you've started at look down. Yeah, that's right, I think. Look, it's, a, it's about playing golf rather than playing golf swing, I think, isn't it? Like, you can be, the thing that gets you out on the golf course can be the thrill of hitting a good shot. And repeating that and getting better at striking the ball. And, and that, to me, is that sort of look-down mentality where that, that's, what, that's what's bringing you back week after week. Um, but, you know, there's only so much satisfaction. We all reach a – we all plateau. Uh, I work in handicapping, I can, I can tell you. <laughs> where is the plateau? You can probably name it for us to a decimal after, whatever, point. Whatever you're at after about three years of playing golf is that's where you're going to be pretty much for life. Um, Without doing something drastic, don't give up hope, people. You can get better if you really want to devote your life to it. But if you're off yeah. 10 and you have been for five years, it's unlikely you're getting to seven or scratch. So if that's, uh, if that's your source of ongoing enjoyment from golf, it's little wonder that people leave golf from time to time because there is a limit to how much enjoyment you can extract out of that aspect of the game. Um, and, you know, you can, you're ultimately going to get disappointed in your performance 
that that disappointment just. I'm comes. sitting right here. <laughs> that that disappointment. I mean, it comes from expectations, isn't it? It's all yeah. about unless you're the rare person who can manage your expectations through a whole lifetime of playing golf. Then, if your measure of enjoyment is how well you're playing, you're going to be disappointed. So, I think you need to look to other parts of the game, and and for me, that's appreciating the environment you're in and looking around and understanding what went into making the the environment that you that you're playing this game through and uh, enjoying traveling and meeting people and doing all those aspects of it all of which have very little to do with Life. with hitting the ball and and I think you try and what it does for your game is you try and get to the point where you can just you're happy if you're just not embarrassing yourself with the game <laughs> and you can just get the ball airborne and moving forward that, that's sort of my ambition with golf is to look not look like I'm struggling to hit the ball and get it airborne and moving forward, <laughs> basically going where I'm looking. I suppose the three of us have come to you know, the, the look-up stage has been about the golf course architecture, but there's multiple other areas, isn't there, Shane? You'll meet it, and I think it's one of the fascinations of golf and one of the reasons it's such a broad church in that you can often play with people regularly who you disagree with about everything in the world, politically, socially, and everything else. But you share golf, not just architecture. You can, you know, the rules capture some people. The golf swing captures a lot of people. The notion of perfecting the swing, the um, the golf equipment captures some people. It's an extraordinary game, isn't it, Shane? Is this why it's so appealing to so many? Do you think? Let's go back to that piece. I think that Andrew Thompson mentioned when you had him on the. Thing about golf podcast the uh, primal nature of it you know if if uh, i think adrian mentioned it our last recording you know if if people you know if golf wasn't a thing somebody would invent it mm-hmm. and uh, you know there are so many elements to it but it's a microcosm i suppose of of life in many ways you know i mean it's not fair and shouldn't be considered as fair in terms of how it started um and just to think the evolution of the game and, 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 and the the very fact that it started in Scotland, you know, back in whatever century it was, or was it Holland? Anyway, that's another question. <laughs> you, you've now sparked off an Colf. entire separate Colf. rabbit hole debate. Is it, uh, yeah. <laughs> Adjacent to this will be a whole other discussion going on, yeah. Get Stephen Proctor in. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, don't talk exactly about Proctor. Well, uh, <laughs> I, was, I was just thinking of him as I said that, yes. but anyway. Um, okay. I, I guess just you know the, the the confluence of things that actually happened in relation to the characters, the technology, the industrial revolution, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. And, and looking back through time, the the series of how history repeats itself, and you know whether it's the 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 feathery to the goody to the Haskell, and and obviously then you know, the the hickories to steel shafted clubs. And then on to the invention of urethane. I mean, it, it just, the same issues come up again and again and again. I, I just find that fascinating. Mm. Sorry, just, just to put people in the picture, Stephen Proctor sat in our digital studio here just a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. talking to us, and it was lovely. Same bloke, lovely bloke. A couple of days ago, mm-hmm. he announced his loyalty to Derby and Firm and Fast as his favourite podcast in the world. So, yeah. Proctor, look out. We're after it's you like now. fickle. It is fickle. Yeah. It's pickle. Terrible. Well, I must admit, the episode that he was talking about was fantastic. Sorry, you were going to say something about what Shane was talking about there. Well, yeah, I mean, further to that, I think part of this look-up idea is that it changes the prism that you view golf through. Like, if, if you're viewing golf through your own performance, 
I think you know, that can be a miserable experience. A miserable experience, of course it is. But if you're viewing golf through this different prism of what uh, you know, what golf um, means to different people, and you know, to some people it means uh, you know this history aspect of it. To other people, it's all about architecture. I think opening your mind to those different ways to view golf and and finding your own set of uh, values that you that you find you can apply to any given golf situation is it, it gives you the the tools that you need to um, you know enjoy one course over another it, it starts to explain like you know I, I like this more than I like that mm. and uh, it's it's finding your own prism through to it's just through a bunch of hippie claptrap isn't it like isn't that just hippie nonsense what you've carried on with it? I mean it's just a game it, it is and that, that's how it should be viewed it's just a pastime I love to think of it as a pastime, and you know, it's it's more than that. Which though, which it? fits the idea though of uh, going out and just swinging away and enjoying the company. And score is can be secondary. You can have a fantastic match. I'm, I, I feel like there's nothing better than having uh, and enjoying some match play. And you might not know at the end of the day whether within five or eight shots what you actually shot off the stick if you've done it properly you shouldn't have any idea what you <laughs> might have shot off the stick that's uh... and you've enjoyed the thrill of competition um and uh it's uh, but at the same time you've just in, you, and you can enjoy trying to play different shots as well which is not you know another thing you get with match play that you're not necessarily going to take on with stroke play where you might need to be a bit more conservative um i think all those aspects of it still apply you know whatever way you're coming at the game you can enjoy it in your own way. There's an intellectual and an emotional aspect to golf, which sounds nuts. And even as I say it, I think to myself, God, you must be off the planet. <laughs> it really is just a game, which is all very crazy. But that all looks from the outside to some people very snobbish. Logue, you've got something that you'd like to read, I think. The, <laughs> uh, there's a review that I, somebody I wrote gave. a column a few weeks ago after the Phoenix. What did you, you were, yeah. Well, there's the beer cans on the green and all that sort of stuff. So the point of the column, which nobody read, they just read the headline. The point of the column was, anybody watching off, you would know this, Shane, this, this, this 16th hole at Phoenix every year gets held up as the model for growing the game because it's fun and it's a party atmosphere and everybody's yahooing and all that sort of stuff, which is all great. I mean, that may or may not be true. But anybody who tunes into that and thinks, I'd like to have a go at this golf who's not had it before has been falsely advertised to. Because as soon as they turn up at the local golf course thinking it's going to be an experience, something like the 16th hole at Phoenix, they're going to be removed from the golf course. (laughs) It's just not going to happen. So the whole point of the column was whether you're for or against it as an idea, I'm against it. I'm happy enough to have that discussion. But the point being, it's a false advertising if that's what you're telling people who don't play golf, that this is what golf is or can be. I don't know of any golf course in the world that would put up with the behaviour you no. see at the Phoenix. Well, one one reader was extremely upset. With he wasn't happy, was he? And he wrote in a comment to the column, Yeah, how dare anyone have fun at a golf tournament? We all know golf is for snobs and prudes with sticks up their butts. <laughs> is there anyone who cares what Rob Morrie thinks or even who he is? I personally hate Rob Morrie. There you go. <laughs> What happens when you we're put your head that, up above the trench? We're getting that put on a T-shirt. We might have a first merch <laughs> Logue's to sell. De- Logue's decided to rebrand me, and <laughs> this is how he's going to rebrand me as Rob Morrie the Hateable. But it does talk to something please, important, doesn't please, it? Please write in if you support this. I want <laughs> I want to print that. I want how many shirts do you need to sell before their market, before you can actually make some sort of a I personally hate Rob Morrie. It's going to be on the shirt. But the uh, I second that, yeah, <laughs> excellent. Thank you, Shane. And the full comment, we're going to take a screenshot of that and get Rob, <laughs> Rob, Rob, to put it up on his uh, 
Twitter a Twitter bio as his header. You'll, his have, Twitter to, bio. you'll have to help me do that because I'm not sure how to do yeah. it. But, all right. uh, I'm all for right. that. Does it not, though, raise an important point, Shane? So you've started this podcast where you have these two-and-a-half-hour discussions, well, not always two-and-a-half, and lengthy discussions with people about some of the sorts of things we're talking about. Aren't you just a snob? Are we all just yeah, wanking on in our own corner about golf course architecture and all of this stuff? Well, look, you've got to embrace what, what people think here. I mean, perception and fact can often be two different things. Um, and Case in point, my name isn't Rob. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of it I'm fine with, but, you know, get my name right. Are you, are you sure it wasn't a typo with whoever was filling out the birth cert? Whoever it was. It was probably Stephen Proctor wrote that. <laughs> Very well put. I'm after you, Proctor. If you're still listening, you probably aren't, or you might because Shane's on. Um, but seriously, is there – and often the, when we first started the State of the Game podcast, which if anyone doesn't know, I do that with Jeff Shackleford and Mike Clayton. Sometimes we have guests and sometimes we don't. Way back in 2011, we sat in the media centre at the President's Cup, and I'd been doing podcasting for quite a while, and I'd had both – Clates and Shaq on the show, and Huggy, who started with us but left not long afterwards from State of the Game. We sat around in the media centre there and said, well, you know, I don't know, I think it might have been Shaq that said, we should do something. We should do something as a podcast. And the whole point of it, the whole discussion was about to educate. Now, as soon as you take on the mantle of wanting to educate people, you've surely... There's an arrogance to that. There is. You've put yourself kind of above. And so the... The wrestle for me, the struggle has always been, how do you do that uh, without being condescending and superior? I think Clates is brilliant at it. Uh, I'm not great at it. All I do is sort of ask the questions a bit like you, Shane. but just preach. But <laughs> you, you have wonderful metaphors and analogies. But it's a real thing, isn't it? I mean, for all of us who've had that epiphany that you had when you came here, the realisation that golf can be, it doesn't have to be, it can be more than just how many Stableford points you've had. How do you share that joy with other golfers so they too can revel in that? Yeah, um, look, I, I think I'm sort of drawn back to a passage in, I think, the Spirit of St Andrews where Mackenzie speaks about, you know, Anytime you have an opportunity to speak about golf and a discussion about golf, it's good for golf. It's all to the good of the game. Uh, exactly. And, you know, as, as Oscar Wilde said, there's only one thing worse than people talking about you and that's people not talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. So, um, where was I? Yeah, so I, I guess, you know, I, I kind of adopt the approach that any discussion in relation to this, any discussion in terms of sharing stuff with people has to be good. Good, And they can choose to see it as an opinion or they can choose to see it as, Jesus, I didn't know that. And maybe that asks additional questions that they may come up with themselves and they reach out to other, as, as I'm he- I've heard you say before, Rod, I mean, the, the age of, of podcast and, and the internet, the information is out there if people want to go and find it. Actually, beyond about, that, yeah, I actually think beyond that, what's the information's always been out there. What's actually sprung up is a community. So we touched on it earlier. You'd be one of a very small handful of people at Royal Dublin interested in this stuff. You'd be the same at your club. I was always the same at my club. But we can all find each other on the internet. Suddenly, you go from feeling a bit odd for being interested in this stuff to feeling like you're a part of a community that is actually, and that's, and I think that's actually grown, which has been to the good. There's one of the great things the internet done, has done for golf. Fried egg, no laying up, touch on a lot of this stuff, what you're doing, what we've been doing, 
all important, I think. Of course, but I'm, I, I, I hold your, the two, two of you and Clayton as, as solely responsible for, for, for me being in the community in the first place. Well, it's interesting. So you've spent the bulk of your life being a look-down golfer, sort of had this epiphany and whatever. Do you feel more like you've said everybody in the golf industry has been friendly and all that sort of stuff? Do you feel that this community has grown? I often ask people this. I think interest in architecture and some of the issues uh, outside of just what people score in professional golf, which tends to dominate most of the media coverage, let's be honest with Tiger Woods this week's a prime example. He's on a different level. It's been very good for the game, and then it's almost tipped over in some ways to where an account like Woke Kenzie <laughs> exists on Twitter poking fun at those people who are kind of doing all this stuff but not kind of doing it right. I think it's a really interesting thing that's happened. The internet's done uh, for that. No, for sure, and, and even sharing – I mean, I, I, I mean, obviously, as I publish – podcasts i share them with some fellow members and friends and so on and so forth and you know it can be quite a lonely place in terms of you know it's obviously very nice to get the feedback from from stephen proctor during the week and but i have had a couple of messages from people that i wouldn't necessarily have thought would be interested in it Mm. and they're basically saying i'm learning a lot and and keep it up and that's you know it's those so when somebody takes the time to actually reach out and, you know, you know, obviously I knew I was sending it to them, but I was it was sending sending more on hope than anything else. Throwing it into the so, ether and hoping someone would catch it, yeah, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you throw enough shit at the wall, like something's going to stick. <laughs> Eventually, yeah, indeed. Yeah, indeed. You get that, don't you, like? So do you come a bit? Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd add to that as well that my, uh, well, this experience of of learning about some of this stuff and viewing golf in a different way has also been my entry to uh, other issues, peripheral issues like sustainability and mm-hmm. environment and uh, diversity and equality that I, I don't think I would have had any exposure to some of those issues if it wasn't for this opportunity to think more deeply about golf's impact more broadly more than deeply just and, la- and laterally as well. I yeah, think. that's right. So, and and the most satisfaction I've gotten out of this is that I can see that some of our audience, this it's also been their uh, their introduction to some of those concepts, um, and and you, you you hear it at clubs when people start talking about playing off the the right set of tees and and having mixed competitions and uh, concerns about you know how we're using water and golf courses and that sort of and I, I think a lot of those discussions. I wouldn't be taking part in those discussions if it wasn't for this podcast, and I wouldn't have even thought about it. I'd be, I'd be still thinking about why can't I have defined, mm. you know, lines of rough in, in the course and, and. What does my course look like, Augusta National? Yeah. Oh, and, and isn't it curious that well, you know the, the women at our club can't book in the same tea time as as us? You know, but I wouldn't give it much thought. I wouldn't certain. I certainly wouldn't advocate for uh, equal tea times if it if I hadn't had this opportunity to think about it more deeply. So. Is that true for you too, Shane, or is it just about the golf course architecture? No, I would have to. I would have to wholeheartedly concur with Adrian there. I mean, you know, the more access you have to, for want of a better word, a thought leader's leadership position in terms of, and I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about, you know, the the experts that you you guys have on. You know, it really it really is an eye opener at times because you kind of go, well, I didn't actually think about that, or I didn't think in that way or consider it in that way i mean you know it going back to the comment about 
talking about these things is only good for golf. And, you know, I think it's about the accessibility of not just an opinion, but an opinion based on fact is is very, very, um, very, very important, but also very, very powerful. Mm. Of course, the you touched on it there. Once you start to think about this, you can't avoid the big issue. And the really big issue for golf is that there is a time that might come when it might go away mm-hmm. if these things aren't addressed. That is a mm-hmm. reality. If you love golf, if you hate what we're talking about, but you love to play golf, get interested because <laughs> things like water, land, we see it in urban areas, the threats to public golf, those are the very existence of golf in some point in the future is going to come under direct threat. And golf better have some answers for those from outside the game about why it deserves to maintain its place. I don't see golf doing enough. I see movement in that direction. There's forward movement in all these areas, I feel like. I wonder whether it's going to be quick enough because it will be outside forces, not golf, that will force those issues. And I don't think golfers understand that. I don't think golfers think about it. No. Um, and just to, to tease something, I'm, uh, I was watching that movie Falling Down, recently uh which has a little golf scene in it it's the, it's the movie where mike douglas goes nuts and is that where he complains about the picture of the hamburger yes He's, <laughs> yeah. he gets the gun out he says, yeah. i want a hamburger that looks like that that's brilliant well there's a golf there's a golf scene in that i don't think i got that far and <laughs> sorry <laughs> i saw the gun in the restaurant scene if it could be broken up into half hour episodes right. i might have gotten through it uh but there's a there's a golf scene in that where within like a one minute or one or two minutes, he absolutely sums up all of those feelings about golf, and in the like, he leaves this golfer dying on the fairway. He says, "Look at you! You're going to be you're going to be dying with that silly hat on now. That's what you deserve." <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, that's what people externally he expressed very very succinctly and in brutal terms what people think about golf. Um, and uh, I, I, ironically. Golf isn't what people think it is. Oh, no, and when you, when you get involved in it, you realise it's not. And then, and you made the comment earlier that oh, you know, aren't we being snobs? Well, again, ironically, I think the three of us would be much happier playing, uh, you know, a casual game at, at Bondi than playing at um, eighteen holes of stroke competition at the Australian or the Australian. And uh, Jasper, uh, to plug uh, Shane's podcast, he had Jasper Miners on uh, recently who, who said exactly this. I think Jasper said, what was his favourite course? Uh, was was it Painswick or Minch and Hampton Old? Minch and Hampton, yeah. yeah. Minch and Hampton. And that's what, £10 to, for 18 holes? Um, something like that. And you can't get a better golf experience, really. Uh, and uh, that's, that's the complete opposite of being a golf snob, isn't it? I don't know. It's, yeah. This is a favourite hobby horse of mine, which you'll both know, but the image of the game, which I think is directly what you're talking to there, like outside of the game, is not great here in Australia. What's it like in Ireland, Shane? We assume that Scotland and Ireland have a different, that the game has a different image in Scotland. Here it's you know considered to be for wealthy people and uh, only for the elite and middle-aged white blokes, and there's plenty of those in golf, but that's not strictly 100% true. What's the image of golf in Ireland? Yeah, I mean, I think probably the image of golf in Ireland is slightly different to the image of golf in Scotland. Um, you know, we we tend to get um, combined with the Scotland and Ireland thing. I mean, very much when the the, the game was transplanted over here, it was a upper echelon of society. It was the you know the the professional class and whatever else. And I guess over time, it has become more inclusive. But there's still that, I guess, 
underlying misconception that it's not a game for everybody. And in much the same way as, as I've heard you, the two of you speak, you know, we don't do ourselves any favours because groupthink tends to perpetuate itself and, you know, it's, you know, nobody ever got fired for buying IBM kind of scenario. And, you know, you, you, you ape what the other club down the road is doing, rightly or wrongly, as opposed to looking slightly wider afield for best practice around the world because it's just easier to pick up your pick up the phone to your mate and find out what they're doing and just copy it and either get that right or wrong but there's no benchmarking against what actually the correct thing to do is and where the leadership position is versus the follower position because there's no right and wrong is the problem <laughs> that's one of the problems isn't it it's not wrong to simply enjoy playing golf competitively all your life mm-hmm. and never think about it there's nothing wrong no. with that and it can often be said. It's a shame that we're off Proctor because I've got a really interesting question for him. Why did the game that come out came out of Scotland adopt this totally different approach? Almost everywhere in the world, Australia is the same. Golf's built around exclusion. In England, to an extent in Ireland by the sound of it, same here in Australia, certainly in America, the notion of exclusion is is one of the reasons golf's got such a poor image. But that's not what Scotland golf in Scotland is like. Why do we export everything about the game except for the inclusive nature of it? It's an interesting question. You ever thought about that, Shane? Yeah, I think, not wanting to put words in Mr. Proctor's mouth, but I think it's a, you get, if you look at you the... You get that out of your mouth. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you get Stephen I'll give Proctor you, I'll give out you a of slap. your mouth. That's exactly right. Yeah. Correct. Um, if you look at, you know, how uh, how golf first moved into the States and Ireland and, you know, to Australia as well and probably South Africa, it was very much an upper class game adopted by the upper class because they were the ones that had the time to, yeah, the time and the money and the opportunity to go and, you know, spend the money in terms of employing C.B. McDonald or Harry Colt or Alistair McKenzie, whatever it might be. Um, and that sort of perpetuates itself and, you know, it then becomes certainly in an Irish context, you know, it was the sort of place that, um, you know, you, you, you went to, to stay away from the peasants, if you like. Um, and I, I guess, you know, the, the, obviously the age of empire, et cetera, et cetera, was very much associated with the British, uh, ruling class, if you like, um, post, um, post a war of independence here you know there was a um a a move towards a little bit more inclusion but you know i, I think it's a i think it's a class-based class and 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 unfortunately resources and money it was the was that was the main driver and that's that's the, i guess from a historical perspective where the where, where the the perception or the fact actually came from yeah, leisure time like who could who could have the time for such a frivolous surely activity. that's true in scotland as well though. Well, and yet in Scotland today, we find a completely different. I've never been welcomed into a golf course and to well-known golf courses that anywhere else in the world would lord it over you, the fact that they're that club and you're not. Mm-hmm. Complete opposite in Scotland. Almost, well, we went in 97, maybe things have changed. They were staggered that we'd come all the way from Australia to play, not the old course, but mm-hmm. plenty of courses in Scotland and Ireland were just amazed that people would come from the other side of the world to play there and know anything about the course. Yeah, yeah it's interesting, isn't it? Hey, Scotland's got an amazing density of really good golf, though. Like, I think people have this impression that Australia's um, an amazing golf destination. It is. Please come to Australia. 
the um, but there's an awful lot of very mediocre oh, golf in drops, Australia, yeah. like a, a huge, like much more longer tail of horrible oh. golf than there is. People think there's a Royal Melbourne on every golf on every corner in Australia. <laughs> it just yeah. isn't. The, it's not true. The the you know top fifty courses in Australia are all world class. Can all hold it. Um, and uh, but yeah, it drops off this, really rapidly after that. There's something about being a part of the fabric of a town. I think in Scotland, like that you grow up with the golf course is just part of the community. We've talked about it. Honestly, the old course has no fences. If you grew up in St Andrews and didn't play golf, you'd have no animosity towards the game because it's just like a cafe and it's just over there. Mm-hmm. If you don't choose to use it, doesn't matter. Like a library or the local swimming pool. Elsewhere in the world, it's not that, is it? It's fenced. It's If you were curious, you wouldn't be able to find out. It's how Malcolm Gladwell built that entire nonsensical episode he did about mm-hmm. golf courses in – oh, that wasn't completely nonsensical. The point he made was pretty on the money. You've got these multi-billion dollar clubs that, and that pay no tax, etc. Yeah, yeah. But the feelings he tapped into about running along the footpath outside the fence and looking through the fence and seeing through the gaps these wealthy people – with their silly, silly hats. With their silly hats yeah. taking up all of this space. That's much more the reality, I think, around the world mm. than the Scottish model. Yeah, where curious. I don't know how we got into that, but it, look, it's... How do we get out of it is probably more the question. That's right. It, it, the, the first tea is a scarce resource. Like, you know, that, that's what you're selling when you're selling tea times is that little bit of grass on the first tea. And, it, you know, it's like a hotel with a limited number of rooms each and... Uh, that's you know it cost in the end it's supply and demand and it costs money to get access to that limited resource. The people you interview, Shane, as we often do here, are in the business of golf. Complicates things, doesn't it? The business of golf. If you're a golf lover, and then in the business of golf, you constantly bump up against these sort of ethical issues about what might be good for your business isn't necessarily good for the game. Oh, I, that's probably the contrast between growing the game and nurturing the game, I suppose. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. uh, we asked this last, <laughs> we last recording, last, but how, how, did you, the other record? how did you get into golf, Shane? I know, I know the answer. Yeah, I'm I, asking for the, my, the audience. No, no, for sure. My, my grandfather uh, introduced me to the game with a set of, well, with a couple of cut-down clubs at the age of seven. And uh, we used to go uh, on a sort of weekly or fortnightly basis to the local par three golf course, which is a 12-holer in the local park to where he lives. And uh, there was a family connection then, obviously, uh, to to golf. And um, my granddad and my uncle and my father were members of Royal Dublin. So I uh, joined as a junior member at 12. And tootled along for a couple of years playing there and gave up at 16 because um, uh, and I was told oh you'll regret it I said I won't you'll regret it I won't <laughs> of course at 16 you know everything and uh, four years later I was back playing golf so I had a pretty nomadic golfing existence very competitive focused at the time running around the country ticking courses off lists etc etc um, so yeah um I guess through various iterations of of that, and rejoined Royal Dublin. I guess at this stage, thirteen, twelve or thirteen years ago. So, mm. did, you, did um, you have to pay the joining great again? <laughs> Is that your I did actually. Yeah, did yeah, yeah. So, so it. Ouch. That's, that hurts. Yeah, I mean, did your dad have that smug look on his face as you were writing that check out? <laughs> that I told you so. Um, look, 
you know, it, it has, my mother did say to me, you know, are you sure you want to spend this money to get us? Look, it's an investment for life. She goes, what happens if you leave again? I says, look, it's, it, that, that won't happen. Uh, that so, won't happen. Uh, she said, have we heard this? Have we seen this movie before? That won't I heard happen. this before. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. No, no. <laughs> so, so, so yeah, I, I'm still, I'm still there. They're still putting up me anyway. Is um, that, is that start in the game that you had? Mm. Do we still see that? Where does the next generation of golfers come from? I feel like been a member of the club for a while, but don't recall seeing a lot of people out with grandkids or kids ever at the course where I was a, a member at. Do you see it at Royal Dublin? Do you see it at your club? How do people come to the game these days? That's a fairly common story, Shane's story of 20 or 30 years starting, ago. Starting, well, also starting at a public course, the, the par three course, I mm-hmm. think is, is a pretty common thing. What, what was it? I, I, I don't, to answer your question, no, we don't see it at all um, in uh, pri- be, private clubs. It's an unhealthy thing, doesn't it? For sure. Yeah, you don't. Then there's loss of caddying as as well as another oh, thing. Like brutal. that's like actually that's how I started. Was I used to caddy, caddy for dad. Money. Clates was the same. Was well, no, money. I was I wasn't caddying like generally. Like, oh, right. But I caddied for dad, and that was just dad's ploy to get me out on the golf course with him. Even if he had to sort of, I had to sit on the buggy and he pushed me up the hills and stuff. If I had, because I couldn't, I didn't want to drive. My favourite photo of Kari Webb is when she was a kid sitting on the front of her granddad's buggy, being pushed along yeah. as a four or five year old, which exactly. is just a wonderful. Exactly, I loved it. Actually, I loved um, just seeing the, you know, just handling the clubs and seeing uh, seeing the ball sort of zoom up into the air when you when you're you know, eight or nine years old. Seeing the ball just lift up into the air is it seems like some sort of magic trick. Yeah. Um, and then eventually, and then it comes full circle, and it seems like a magic <laughs> trick again. <laughs> it does, but then you know, just you know, you have a hit yourself, and you, before you know it, you're hooked. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I still found I, like I grew up playing golf in Maitland Golf Club in the Hunter Valley, and very friendly club, very laid back, and you know, great atmosphere, good good bunch of members. But I still felt as a twelve, you know, ten, eleven, twelve year old that it was a really intimidating environment. Did you find that Shane at Royal Dublin? I can only imagine. You know, even Put even yeah, with Royal, even with your dad, it, your dad, your grandfather, your, everyone as members. My, my dad was captain of the golf club, and I still felt like, well, you know, this is is this okay me being here? And yeah, I mean, I, I would have joined as as a twelve year old in eighty eight, I suppose, and I mean, not wanting to be too unkind, but there were a number of rules in place. So if any ordinary members came up behind behind a you know behind us on the golf course we just step aside and let them through um you know very much and maybe to a degree you know juniors are expected to be seen and not heard even still to this day to a certain degree um you know we 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 like to think that we're uber progressive and whatever else and you know maybe maybe we've improved on where we were and yeah, fair enough. We let under twelves in as cadets, and you know, I mean, we we probably have, let's say, from a junior membership perspective, maybe sixty or seventy junior members, mostly all sons of 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 member of members. Interesting. Um, we we are in the process of and, and have addressed a an issue that the club had in terms of gender equality or lack of any of the fairer sex, shall we say. So, um, not wanting to speak out of turn, but I, I really hope that one of the things that would come out of that would be, um, you know, an acceptance and an intake of both uh, junior girls and junior boys. Across the harbour there, does 
does Port Marnock allow female members yet? Um, they had a similar challenge, which they addressed last year, uh, in terms of one of the rules which precluded that particular scenario. Um, they have are, and are in the process of of. Uh, I, I I'm not a member. I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> so you're talking, let's you're ho- let's hope a corner there they sort it out because it's a great golf course, and I'd love to see it host tournaments. Um, but it's not going to. But they've got to sort though, themselves out. Exactly right. All all clubs who have some sort of male only clause. It's 2022 guys. Let's just get over that. Is there necessarily anything wrong with juniors having different rules at clubs? Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. It, it serves a purpose to start with, at least. There's a bit of life lesson about some of that stuff, isn't there? I mean, obviously not the draconian stuff like you. Know, you're not yeah. allowed to come on here. There, but but the notion that you know, if a group of three members come up behind you, you give way. I'm not necessarily saying, but that's an idea that that assumes that assumes the juniors are playing slowly, which is not oh, necessarily a not even valid. Necessarily. It, just, it just assumes that there's a pecking order. Yeah, and that you know, I don't know. I'm not. I don't know what. What do you reckon, Shane? Is that you probably didn't like it much at yeah, the time, I'm, but should 12-year-olds and 13-year-olds be told that they're uh, fully grown adult equal members as everybody else? Generally, not just at golf. but look. Ultimately, they do represent the future of the game, and you don't really want to put too many hurdles in the way mm-hmm. for them to continue enjoying the game. Um, I think some structure is required, obviously, and in many ways, when I look, I think back to my, my my formative days in terms of golf, in terms of just getting the you know the rules and regulations and the the etiquette of the game, not so much drummed into you, but it became part of the initiation, if you like, to a certain degree. And you know, in many ways, that stands to you because ultimately. You know, you know that you've got to repair your pitch mark and put sand on your divot and all that sort of stuff and rake the bunker properly. And, you know, just be a, a responsible and respectful golfer on the golf course. And, you know, um, I, I obviously had Richard Pennell on recently and we went on ad infinitum about this sort of stuff. But, uh, you know, it's it's the, the P's and Q's, if you like, in terms of golf. And, you know, I think I think that part of it's important anyway, but... You know, making people feel like second-class citizens. I don't think there's a. I don't think there was ever a time and a place for that. But you know, in, in the modern age, I don't think it's uh, it's a runner at all because just the way the kids are these days. That's nicely put. I was never a junior member at a golf club. What would you have changed as a junior member looking back? What What are the things that you would have taken away without removing the structure that I, Shane's talking about sensibly about fixing pitch marks and all those other things, becoming a good golfer, as Sandy calls them. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a different set of rules. In fact, I think juniors like being told what the rules are and and fitting in in that way like that's what's the structure in which i'm able to enjoy this thing if i if i stick to these sets of rules nobody's going to bother me right i've never thought about this stuff this is a sticky sort of it is an interesting important topic if you're running a golf club so sue thompson at mount lawley clearly gets it right influx of junior girls over the last 20 years does an extraordinary thing for me. Hannah Green's been a product of that system. Kirsten Rudgley's a product of that system, which is not necessarily to say that that's the value of it, that elite golfers come out of it, but there's two people whose lives have been changed by being there. But if you were running the junior, if you were in charge of the juniors at your club, how do you do that? I think, yeah, lay out some rules for them because they know that if they stay within those rules, then nobody's going to bother them. Like they're, they're doing the right thing and they can enjoy their golf. Um, 
the the what I think what kills in a junior's enthusiasm for golf more than anything else is the old bloke waving the stick at him across a couple of fairways saying what are you doing there you know just knowing that they're going to get roused on or you know getting frowned upon is the thing that really is soul destroying it destroys your day and the fun out of it that's right and and if a junior is having to go around a course in constant fear of like oh i've got to watch out for this old bloke who's going to rouse on me for something then you know that's that's going to kill their enthusiasm for the game and i think everyone who's been a junior understands that feeling of having having an old bloke pick on you for you know having your shirt out or something and let's like that. be completely honest every one of us knows that old bloke at our club yeah. as an <laughs> equal member that's, that's there's right. a responsibility on all of us is there not to call that bloke out as well yeah that's right but what what helps with that, I think, is rules because the kid can stay within the rules and you know be confident that they're they're not going to get bothered by that bloke if they're staying within the rules. That may be a weird way of thinking about it, but um, it works for me. I'm I'm the type of person who wants to know the rules. I, n- I never got the cane at school, not once. Are you joking? Never once. Oh, relentlessly. <laughs> six six years of boarding school, I never got the cane once. Wow. I just oh. need I need to know the rules and just I'll stick to them. Oh, I'm Catholic, so we had the leather strap, not the cane. We used to mark it on our ties. Our, our school tie had stripes, and you'd have you'd turn it over, and on one of the stripes, that's where you'd mark how many you got, like a batch uh, on, of on any given time. So four, you had to really do something wrong to do get four. Two was pretty standard. One occasionally, Mister Jackson was the worst. He would uh, strap vertically up the hand, not across the hand, up the hand. And I remember <laughs> John Fogarty once had his hand out and just pulled it away. Mister Jackson <laughs> just smacked himself in the knee with the strap. <laughs> Oh, he wasn't happy that day, I can assure you. You used to mark them on the back of your tie, like notches, oh. and you'd sort of compare quite, you know, every, yeah. you'd compare how many you got. Badge of honour. Yeah, that's right. I, I mustn't have ever washed the ties, because surely your mum would say to you, what are all these marks on the back of your tie? <laughs> What's that about? Yeah, there you go. Did you get strapped at school? No. No, I'm not. It shows, too. Run, the two of you, it shows. I'm the only one with, with any discipline out of the whole group because uh, I was thrashed as a child. Almost poured a whole bottle Just of liquid on top of your computer. Brand new bloody <laughs> laptop. There we go. I'm having a look through your guest list here. Um, it's just a shameless promotion yeah. of Shane's podcast. Well, it is, and partly because once I've fixed the website, which I broke trying to add the podcast to it, Firm and Fast is going to be a part of the Talk and Golf Network. So I ruined the network going into the back end to try and add change show but i'm going to fix that at some point and that'll be going on there as well karen harding's tea for two um what are you trying to achieve here with the i'm just going through it's a pretty eclectic list isn't it i think most of these have been on here clayton goggin klein we haven't done anything on st patrick's richard pennell the roger mcstravick episode was terrific and then jasper miners from evaluating golf is there a theme or are you just generally talking to people that you've found interesting over time and want them to come on and talk yeah, look, I, th- th- there's a there's a, a a broad theme in terms of just introducing people to people that I respect and and opinions that I've I've come to share. Um, you know, a lot of what I've done so far is just a jumping off spot for certain topics. I mean, you look at, I mean, certainly the 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 episode with panel is with a view to doing a little bit more on the agronomy and greenkeeping side. Um, I've been fortunate in that Paul Larson from Royal St. George's and Graham Beat from Royal Port Rush have agreed to come on. So they will be, uh, and indeed the the jumping off position is actually with um, 
George Waters from the USGA because that's actually looking at greenkeeping, agronomy and design and the intersection of that. So with, with just there is a, with George, isn't it? They did the big study about yeah, impact I mean, and distance on the footprint of golf, which is really important correct. stuff. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, that, that's going to play a bit more into the sustainability question that I'm not specifically as you guys did with him, just sort of talking about the footprint side, but that will be covered to a certain degree. So he is slated, hopefully, for a chat uh, later on this week. But as as you said to me before, gentlemen, I am putting things in the barrel. I would maybe not necessarily be be posting every week. No, slow down. Yeah, yeah. You and pedal. We've yeah. told you both now. You're gonna have to take the information on board. Yes, yeah. as as well. Logue's now kind of working media, doing a regular column for the magazine. I think it's hit him just now. This notion that you've got to have something ready to go at all times. You like to keep things up your sleeve, but it's a frenetic pace, which just says sort of passion, I guess, doesn't it? and you, you want to record it and get it out there and share it with the world. What's the reaction been? Because it's a flooded market. No, it is. And and look, it's, uh, you know, I, I still need to pinch myself that I'm actually doing one in the first place. But, you know, it's a confluence of things, really. But, I mean, the, the feedback's been great. I mean, you know, the 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 support i've had sort of online from a twitter perspective from from the two of you uh, 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 obviously uh but you know the clates and um frank pont and whatever just people just retweeting and even stephen practice oh, comments i was, I was waiting oh, for it there we go waiting for it yeah you know i have to drop his name in again like he's actually agreed to come on as well to actually have a conversation about cool. the book which he didn't do with you particularly particularly well so of course, he's agreed to come on. He's his favourite podcast. <laughs> yeah. on, wouldn't he? That's <laughs> We're after you, Doctor. So, so I, sorry. Just, just to answer your question. Yeah, it's been great. I mean, you know, it, as I said earlier, it, it's it can be a lonely place because sometimes you're wondering, you know, am I actually? Is anyone actually even listening? I know. No. You, know, you, 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 you probably take. You probably take. You probably take the comments in relation to. Oh, it's a bit. It's a bit long. Would you not think about doing forty-five minute podcasts? And you kind of say, well, it takes as long as it takes. I mean, I did consider splitting splitting the the, the content in two, but kind of felt, you know, leave it as one piece. So somebody has to have two or three or four bites of it. Well, this is the thing. Back, you know? It's the great thing about podcasting is that the listener's in control of how many parts they split it into. Mm-hmm. There's no need for the producer to do it because if you've run out of time for the moment, you just press stop, and when you start up again, you press play again, and away you go. Yeah. So the medium lends itself to that longer form, and being in the podcast, and I hear this all the time, what's the perfect length for a podcast? Oh, well, an international median what travel what time is 35 minutes, and the, the commute, that's what... No. What a load of nonsense. Not, most successful podcast in the world is Joe Rogan. Hmm. And Rogan's episodes can go up to four, five, six hours sometimes. One of my favourite podcasts is a little one called Robot or Not. It goes for about five minutes. What a surprise. And <laughs> the the topic is they just pick a thing and they like they debate whether or not it's a robot. Oh, like what? Here's an example. Like a like an obvious one is a Roomba or something like that. Oh, the you know, vacuum yeah, thing that does yeah. itself. Is it a robot? Yeah, that, that one got a, a yes, that's a robot. What's well, had a no? I'm, now I'm intrigued. Can you send me the I don't know. I have to, we'll put a link I'll in the say, show we'll notes. Put a link in the show notes. <laughs> robot or not. It's five minutes, just a quick hit. It's a lot of fun. That's the other thing. Yeah. I think one thing golf's lacking is the the snappy five, ten-minute podcast, maybe even less, whether it be daily or weekly. You know, the, I think there's probably room in the marketplace for that, so it's interesting stuff. Uh, you got anything else for Shane? I think I'm done. I, I do, actually. Um, oh, Shane, okay. at the end of his podcast, always asks his guests uh, for 
a list of their four bucket list courses. Uh, when we rec- recorded this last week, Shane cheated Didn't horrendously. He get to about I'm sure. Somehow? I'm sure he's going to do that again. He's had time to prepare now. He's probably got something you know, ridiculous prepared. But um, so, Shane, what are your four bucket list courses? And they, they, could be, they, could be, they could be they could be courses you haven't. He's got notes. Played. They, <laughs> they could be courses you haven't <laughs> played. I'll just pad while you're finding your notes. They can be courses no, that no. you want to return to. It might be the par three course where you first play golf. That's yeah. Okay, so um, <laughs> no, when I was get comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can't guarantee that I, I won't do what I did the last time, but you know, I'm shameless that way. It, it's a loose fork, Luke. It's a okay. loose fork. Right. That's what I always okay. say to my guests. Um, so I'm trying to lead the witness here. Um, look, I didn't get to Royal Melbourne the last time I was in Melbourne. In fact, I've never got to Royal Melbourne. So that is um, having 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 spoken to uh, Michael Goldstein yesterday, he reckons that the first seven holes on the West Course are just perfection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hard to argue. It has to be done. Yeah, that really has to be done. Would you not agree? We, no, we just lost you for a moment. So, yes, no, absolutely agree. First seven, I'm just trying to think. Does that leave out ten? West? Well, there's still plenty more. No, I was going to say, but yeah, just, I suppose <laughs> like, from one to seven, there's nothing weak, is there? No, it's, it is magnificent. Nothing misses. Yeah. yeah. The second's sort of a par four and a half, but yeah. it's still a fantastic par four and a half. So... So, so if if that's good enough for him, that's good enough for me. So, that that that's number one on the list. Number two, again... Uh, inspired by my conversation with Michael last night, Morfontaine. So, I just returned to Royal Melbourne. There, you're just sticking to the the one course at Royal Melbourne, just the West Course at Royal Melbourne. Well, you know, Royal Melbourne I, I'm, one course. I, I just want to open. Well, mate, you know, there's the opportunity <laughs> no. there to say Royal Melbourne, and you could have had Royal Melbourne East and West, and you could have even thrown in Sandringham links and the composite. Well, well, that mate, could have a, got you count up that, to four a, already with one. That's a given. That's a given. Okay, so I'm lucky enough to have re- reciprocity through my membership in Royal Dublin. So, oh really? You know, if, yeah, the if they'll have me. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, and not all of them, not not for us, but but um, we have twenty two or twenty three, um, most mostly all royals. Um, but uh, so that's so very fortunate to have that, and so it goes without saying, Adrian. Of course, I'd have to take a look at the okay. four holes on so, the on the east course to see what 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 the, what the balance of of the composite is, and Sandy's next door. Yeah. Um, so, you know. Anyway, I, it would appear that in order for me to fit in as much golf as I want in the sand belt, I'll probably need to spend three weeks in Melbourne. But anyway, mm. however, uh, there are worse complaints, I suppose. So, so yeah, obviously West and East, um, but West particularly. Uh, Morfontaine in Paris um, has to be seen to be believed, I believe. You have two and, courses there. Uh, I suppose you're going to want to play both of those. Yeah, you have 27 there, really, I suppose. You have the Valier course, which is the little course, and then you've got the... Uh, the the parkour or the grand core parkour course I think which is the mm. which is the, the main golf course Place so. raves about Morfontaine and if yeah. it's good enough for him it's good enough for anybody yeah. Yeah. and the little course still has sort of the more original Simpson greens as I understand it yeah uh, uh, very very funky and interesting and just lots of characters so um, there's a there's a couple of cool videos of, of Ashi the Pure Golf, Michael Goldstein and, and Jamie Patton back in 2010, Ashi playing the golf course. So it's a, a thing of beauty. Um, I only got to spend 38 hours in Barnbuckle June, and I was there in, in Jan 2020. So uh, I have to get back down there. 
uh, and spend a bit more time. If only there was a, like a, a deal that you could you could do yeah. for well, three you, three nights and that. and four days and four games. If of only golf. it wasn't closed. And if only you know, imagine mm-hmm. if that only cost you know about thirteen hundred dollars. I love my mother, um, and, uh, <laughs> and actually, actually, our um, our Mother's Day is a different uh, is a different uh, different day altogether. You you got the US Mother Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, UK and Ireland is a different day. Well, I'd I'd love to, but just um, a little bit, um, a little bit uh, tight on time in terms of trying to get down there. For, yeah, is it, is it next understandable. Month? understandable. Yeah, yeah, that's very disappointing, but yeah, none, yeah, understandable. I wasn't invited as well. So. <laughs> uh, the whole world was invited, Shane. That was, yeah. In fairness, Thank the you. whole world was invited. That is true. Uh, three courses at Barnboogle. Then you've got. Yeah, you know, Lost Farm True. and Boogle Run as Boogle well now. So yeah, yeah, between yeah, yeah. Royal Melbourne, Moorfontaine and Barn Boogle, you're up to uh, nine courses. Nine so courses far. in three, yeah, nice work. Yeah, we're going to throw another six at you and then another three. But again, it's Bandon Dunes and Tara Evie uh, and uh, TRI. <laughs> okay. Yep. So there you go. Uh, okay. Yeah, good choices. Okay, nice diversity there all around the world as well. And and no, yeah. but no love for, for anything Ireland. in Ireland. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, well, I've, I've actually been lucky enough. And look, I have just two or three golf courses in Ireland that I haven't played. Um, <laughs> I'm a big Lynx junkie, so I haven't played Dune Beg, um, which I'd like to play. Um, I haven't played uh, Northwest, which is up in Donegal, which I haven't played. And I haven't played uh, Old Ted, but... Um, Look, I, I'm, I'm not going to spend 450 euro plus caddy fee to play there. You've played Boring Long Reef in Sydney. That's kind of like Sydney's version of yeah. Old Head. It's a spectacular yeah. site, but it's not a stunning architectural yeah. masterpiece. You know, I, I think I think Tom Doak took a look at the property in Old Head and basically said there isn't enough land for 18 holes. That's right. There's enough land for 16 holes. So. That's not to say that the property isn't great. No, 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 no. And the experience you know, is it, is amazing. Yeah, for sure. It's an amazing experience. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's, there's a lot of golf courses fit in that category. Um, but it's an amazing experience, most definitely. I played there. So. Yeah, but I guess the hit is probably, you know, do you, do you get anything else than, than the second or third time you go back? It's arguable. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. I, I, I've not played the place, so I'm, I don't know. I'm not sure but, it's that kind of destination. I think it sees itself in the market as a, not a once-off only, but I don't see a lot of return play necessarily to Old Head. It's a very internationally focused. You know, when you're coming to Ireland to play all the classic links, come and play at Old Head as well. It's an amazing experience, and I think that's... Basically, the same. it's like a Doke 6. If you're in the area, sure. you play. You would play it, yes, but it, you wouldn't play it for the golf course. You'd play it for the incredible place where it is, and it really is quite something. There's a couple of holes there that are quite amazing, but uh, I'm, it's not to short shortchange it at all. I'm, I feel a bit no, the same no, way sure. about no. New South Wales Golf Club. I don't think it's a great golf course, but it is one of the world's great golf experiences, I think. Oh, but you've got some phenomenal phenomenal holes there, though. Yeah, yeah, you do. That five and, and six. And that, yeah, well, I mean, what, going over the hill on five, I don't care who you are and what your golf background is, it's one of those. It's it's an epiphany. Uh, you might have to you know, tidy up afterwards, but it's the um, the going over there. You you realise, oh, this is something special. Yeah. Like this is what golf golf can be. This you know, BJ that's, that's a BJ uh, editor of Golf Australia magazine, Brendan James. You probably don't know him, Shane. You might, might know of him. Played a pro am there with Paul McGinley, and as they went over the top of the hill, McGinley stopped and said, "Oh, wow." Yeah, <laughs> it's, like yeah, it's really McGinley, something else. Like he's seen some golf around the place. So. It's a true reveal too, because really you, you wind through some holes which don't have their 
pretty solid holes, but they don't have the ocean views. You get hints of the ocean, but then it's this dramatic reveal, and it comes at a really good spot in the round as well. That okay. you, a bit like get that four to five at Barnboogle there, where you come off and you go around the long way to get yeah. to 5T. That's a reveal that is just... And it's the same every time, as is New South Wales. doesn't matter how many times you've seen it, even though you know what's coming. For, it's an amazing... For me, the first experience I had of something like that is the fifth at Newcastle Golf Club, which, you know, I grew up near there. But you, there's this corkscrew fairway at the fifth, and it's actually, it's like a, it's not spectacular, but it's a very striking view. And you, you come up over a hill and you see this corkscrew fairway and you think to yourself, wow, that's that's some interesting landform there. And, and you want to go forward. For me. You want to immerse yourself in it. Another question for you. So one more golf course. In that period of golf when you were playing from 12 to 16, do you look back on that now and think of a hole or a course where you realised there's something good here? Ah, oh, the seed was planted. Yeah. that looking, looking back on it now, like you're probably just interested in scoring and improving your game through most of that period and competitions and things like that. But was there a, was there a moment there where you thought, oh, this is something good and you didn't need to be told. You worked it out for yourself that there's something interesting here. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a public golf course. Actually, I think it probably happened after that, Adrian. I, I wasn't it, it, looking back between 12 and 16. I don't think I really enjoyed golf. I was doing it just going through the motions to a certain degree. Um, it was a chore or a penance to a certain degree. Just, I mean, for us. Amazing how things come full that. circle, isn't it? <laughs> Exactly. I mean, I, I would I would fast forward maybe a couple of years after I sort of took it back up and I was sort of playing a local muni called Corbulus, which is actually, it shares some property, or sorry, it shares a boundary with the Island Golf Club in Donabate, which is just across the way from Malahide, so not a million miles away from where I am at the moment, but as the crow flies, but probably half an hour away by car. And the third hole at Corbulus is index one. And it, it's funny you mentioned a corkscrew um, hole in Newcastle. Um, very much sort of uh, weaves its way around a number of dunes, so it kind of dog legs left, right, and then it switches back a little bit. And the, the, the hole, sorry, the green is actually located and it's sort of perched up into a, into a dune, dune ridge, if you like. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, hole and I guess that was probably my, you know, perhaps where the where some degree of a light bulb went off. But you know, I I, I really had my eyes so far down into the the competitive side of things and and what I was scoring. Yeah, what you I, make? What you make on that hole? <laughs> <laughs> you used to well, you know what? The making six, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it is 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 um, you know, it, it's it's a card record because if you don't get the don't get it don't get it right i mean you can be in the crap on the left you can be in the crap on the right you can never see your ball again i mean uh, and not, notwithstanding that it was you know kind of a number of public right away going through the golf course as well so sometimes you might have the local kids that are um <laughs> down on the beach running literally running out from the beach and robbing your ball yeah so, uh, so you had to keep an eye out for that as well. So proper golf, added, we call um, that, Shane. Proper golf. Yeah, proper golf. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But I, I suppose that probably, you know, just the the quirky nature of that place. I mean, it's as I said, it's a unique. Um, and in fact, before before they did a bit of work on it, there was you know, there was a stretch of holes, three or four holes, which literally crisscrossed each other, an absolute hard hat uh, 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 alley in terms of 
you know, from a safety perspective and whatever else. But, you know, and it's, it's unique in Suarez. It's a, it's a Lynx golf course. And, you know, Bernard Langer, when he was uh, practicing with the Irish Open, used to go out and uh, prepare for the Irish Open at Corbulus. Would you wow, be? that's fabulous. You wouldn't say that happening anymore, would you? Don't, don't you? One, no. one last question for you, Shane. Uh, again, from your podcast, you, you ask every guest for a couple of book recommendations. Um, can we get a couple of your favorite golf books? Sure. Um, we're going to go with... Um, Ooh, are they going to be the same as last time? I don't know. Can I, just pick, can I just copy and paste from the last episode, or are you going to change it up? Or? No. I'd like to see everything no, I'm like, outrageously I might, I might change it up just, just to spite you. Um, no, one of them is the same. So A Life in Golf, Peter Thompson with uh, Steve Perkin, which I think is a, is a great rate. And we're going to go slightly different, which is Tom Doak's Little Red Book of Golf Course mm. Architecture, which is a synopsis or a collection of his contributions to Golf Club Atlas over the years. Very good. Outstanding. Just and, a quick- but the, last, the last chapter has maybe the best maybe the best last chapter of any golf book you're going to read which uh, do, do you recall what it is Sean? yeah yeah uh, all that you need to know about golf course golf course architecture can be found in Scotland it's pretty much some the, the whole, whole chapter yep. yeah, in one line which is fantastic just on that quickly I was thinking about this while you were talking about the public course and where you had that kind of a not an epiphany but maybe the seed was planted you come across this all the time people who will tell you aggressively they have no interest in golf course architecture ask them if they've got a favorite hole not a golfer in the world does not have a favorite golf hole if you've got a favorite golf hole you've got an interest in architecture so the seed is planted within everybody so um i get that people don't want to sit around like we do and talk about it that doesn't mean you're not interested in it if you've got a favorite hole you're interested in it so if you've got this far in the podcast and you're not interested in it, that would seem highly unlikely. But <laughs> I just always feel like having to make that point because it goes again, I guess, in some ways to image. Yep. Golfers think that people who think about architecture are snobs and elitists and all that sort of thing. It's not true. So within the game, we've got our own issues. Shane, it's been great to chat again. And I'm sure we'll chat again, not necessarily on air, but it's been fabulous to uh, have you. Well, it was great to have you last week. Better to have you again this week. Thanks for agreeing to do it a second time. And uh, best of luck with the podcast, mate. We'll, uh, we'll watch its well, Proctor's out there spruiking it. We'll watch it rocket up to number one in no time. Thanks for taking some time. Mate. Thanks, Rod. It's always a pleasure to listen and to speak to the two of you. Do you reckon he means that? <laughs> it didn't seem very genuine. From the bottom of my heart. <laughs> from the bottom just of, a platitude. As, from the heart of my bottom. I was going to say, as, as Faldo might say, from the heart of your bottom. Thank you, Logue. Good. Uh, congratulations on your uh, Bamboogle trip. I hope that goes well. And thanks for your time today. Always a joy. Thanks. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> episode 106, Done and Dusted. We'll be back to do it all again next week here on the Good Good Golf Podcast.